The development of cyberspace and the use of cyber tools in foreign affairs raise tricky questions, at least when it comes to international law. In this report talk, I talked to Kevin John Heller, professor at the Center for Military Studies here at the University of Copenhagen. He has written the report, Low Intensity Cyber Operations and State Sovereignty in Cyberspace. My name is Nils Bjørnsen. So it's a really interesting report you've written um, concerning how international law applies uh, to, to low-intensity cyber operations. Can I perhaps first ask you, why did you write the report? What is what is it that you identify as the problem? What is interesting here? Well, I, I think there are probably two basic reasons why I wrote it. Um, the first was, you know, I, I, I this was one of my earliest forays into, into cyberspace in general, uh, particularly from an international law perspective. Um, i knew quite a bit about how sovereignty functions in the non-virtual world, and and so I was kind of aware of some of the the key principles and most important debates there. Um, and so when I started to kind of do some research in, into international law and cyberspace, what I realized was, well, number one, <laughs> that in fact on a relatively important issue and an issue that that I think all scholars and states acknowledge is important mm. um there were really radically different views uh between states there um almost impossible even to say that there is a majority position although mm. maybe one is slightly more common than uh than the others mm. so it was interesting to see such a a, a clean split uh and also a split that that didn't necessarily line up uh in kind of traditional you know uh global north global south or west east or developed underdeveloped mm-hmm. um it was very different kind of split so that intrigued me and i thought maybe this would be worth looking into mm-hmm. and then two you know the at least in terms of kind of scholarly commentary um the overwhelming amount of support for um one of the positions i just simply thought was the weaker of the two mm-hmm. um certainly defensible i'm not saying it's a crazy position but i was like huh actually there aren't that many voices standing up for one of the positions that 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 was fairly common among states so i thought um i i could do more than just describe the the dilemma or the debate i could also actually kind of intervene in it and, and try to offer explanations for why one perspective on low intensity cyber operations might be you know um better than the other okay you're already touching a little bit on this thing but the positions that that's of course the main kind of bulk of dns can you can you take us through kind of the main argument here what is it about these positions and and, and what is what's your argument there Well, I think those are two very different questions. So let, let me start with the the basic positions. Yeah. And there are really kind of three positions, um, only two of which are all really popular, but mm-hmm. it's worth understanding all three. Um, the first one is is really that um, sovereignty doesn't apply as a rule at all mm-hmm. in cyberspace. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are certain rules that follow from sovereignty, such as the principle of non-intervention, the prohibition of the use of force, mm-hmm. um, but that sovereignty itself was not itself a primary rule of international law that, mm-hmm. that binds states. Um, For a while, there were two states in that category. Um, you might re- recognize them, the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, the United Kingdom still adheres to that position. The U.S. seems to have moved away from it a little bit. But it was a very uncompromising position because what it basically said was, do what you want. <laughs> it, it, you know, As long as it's low intensity, as long as it doesn't amount to a prohibited intervention, as long as it doesn't qualify as a use of force or an armed attack, international law has nothing to say about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there wouldn't be any um, right of an affected state to engage in, in countermeasures mm-hmm. against it. So it's a pretty radical, uncompromising position. 
the two much more common positions both start from an acceptance that sovereignty is not just a principle. Mm -hmm. It is a rule. Mm -hmm. It is a rule of international law that is binding in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. Where they differ is in terms of what kinds of low-intensity cyber operations violate mm -hmm. the principle of sovereignty. Yeah. Um, probably the best-known position um, is what I would call relative sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And this is really based on, I think, the work of the, the experts who are responsible for the Tulane Manual on how international law applies in cyberspace, both 1.0 and 2.0. Mm -hmm. And basically, they take the position that there has to be at least some kind of physical harm to the computer systems in the state whose sovereignty, um, well, whose sovereignty is ostensibly violated. Mm -hmm. In other words, that if you can launch a low intensity cyber operation mm -hmm. that doesn't cause even temporary damage to any of the computer systems, that that isn't a violation of sovereignty. That is still kind of below the threshold and international law has nothing to say about them. By contrast, if you actually cause harm to the computer system, you, re you render it permanently inoperable, you use the computer system to shut down the non-virtual power grid, they believe clearly that that is in fact a violation mm -hmm. of sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a relative sovereignty. And it's, so it's, there are still some unregulated low intensity cyber operations um, but most of them, or and the more damaging ones, are, are prohibited. Mm -hmm. Then you have absolute sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And that is a, 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 a much more sovereignty um, kind of embracing <laughs> position. And it says, no, there's no threshold. There's no requirement of, of, of damage or interoperability. Anytime that you actually access the computer system of another state on its territory without its consent, that that is itself a violation of sovereignty. Um, that's not the position obviously taken by the Tulane Manual, but it is taken by a number of states. Mm -hmm. France is probably the most um, the most known of them. Um, and here's where I talk about strange bedfellows. Iran <laughs> falls into that category. Switzerland falls into that category. I think, although it's not quite as explicit, many of the, the, the South American countries fall into that category. Um, so... There's a split. So I, I don't think the UK position is taken all that seriously anymore because every other state has essentially said no okay. sovereignty is a rule. But we do have a very clear split between relative and absolute sovereignty. Okay. And, and so there are these different positions. And so, and, and you, you have an argument about why you think one position might be better and or at least there could be different kind of considerations. But can you can you explain us a little bit that argument and perhaps also to that why is it why is it actually important for a state like Denmark to to consider these kinds of, of, of okay. positions? Again, two different yeah. questions, but, but but interrelated. <laughs> yes. So I mean I think that my argument is really based on well, I think my argument is fairly simple. <laughs> um, there is no real reason to treat cyber as a domain that is fundamentally different than the other domains of sovereignty. Mm -hmm. um, we have, you know, sovereignty over airspace. We have sovereignty over territory. We have sovereignty over certain parts of the sea. Mm -hmm. In any non-virtual domain, 
the rules of sovereignty are very clear. It's absolute sovereignty. You are not allowed to ever venture into the airspace of a country without its permission. You're never allowed to have any of your law enforcement or military um, forces cross over a border. You're not allowed to, you know, enter the the territorial sea without permission. It's very clear that there's no notion of relative sovereignty in the real world. So my argument is, well, is there a reason to treat cyber differently? Is there a reason to have a, a completely different type of rule in cyber? No, there, there really isn't. We should just extend the same rules because nobody really thinks that, that cyber as a, as a domain should be fundamentally legally different. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of the core of it. Um, I think the, the, the core counter objection to it, um, and we don't have time to get too deep into mm. it, but the counter objection is, well, espionage. Mm. Everyone's like, oh, what about espionage? States spy on each other all the time. You know, it's either permitted by international law or at least international law doesn't prohibit it. Um, I don't actually agree with that understanding of espionage. I think in the non-virtual world, espionage is a fairly clear violation of sovereignty and many, many states agree. Um, I don't think it's a compelling counter objection. Um, and so there's the legal argument in favor of absolute sovereignty. But your other question really is about, well, what are kind of the practical effects? And then there's the law structures these, of course, but, um, but it does matter because basically what the relative sovereigntists are saying, the states that accept that position, uh, like Germany and Norway and a whole bunch of them, um, what they're saying, along with the experts for the Tulane Manual, is, well, as long as you can keep your low-intensity cyber, cyber operation low enough, as long as all you're, do all you're doing, and if you're, you know, you're, you're, the readers or the viewers, the listeners can't see it, but I'm putting that in scare quotes. Um, if all you were doing is stealing information or uh, you know, putting in a back door so you can access the computer system whenever you want, or a Trojan horse that is you know, logging keystrokes, as long as you're doing that, that eh, fine. International law has nothing to, to say to you. And you're not because you're not violating international law, the, the state that you're doing it to can't legally re react to that. I mean, they could launch their own low-intensity cyber operation, but there are symmetries in how uh, developed the capabilities of different states are, and maybe we want to come back to that. So if the relative sovereigntists are right, there's a whole bunch of, you know, I think relatively destabilizing types of espionage um, that shouldn't be lawful. Um, I, I don't think it should be lawful for one state to, to steal the, the nuclear codes from another state. But as long as you're just stealing, again, just in scare quotes, as long as you're just stealing nuclear codes, according to relative sovereignty, you haven't violated the sovereignty of the territorial state, and they have nothing to, to say about it. So the argument there is a little bit that it's a sort of slippery slope in a way, or... Well, I mean, the slope isn't so slippery that you can damage a computer, but it just, it opens the door to stealing all kinds of information that I'm pretty sure states think are, are really central to their sovereignty. Okay. Um, under the position that I would favor, absolute sovereignty of a France or an Iran or a Switzerland, um, anytime your computer systems on your territory are accessed without your consent, you have a right to engage in a response. Um, you might not have the political ability to engage in a response. You might not have the technical ability to respond in kind via cyber, but you at least have a legal right. You can condemn it. You could bring some kind of, you know, um, legal case against the state that's violated your sovereignty. There are things that you could do. And again, I think that 
even the cyber operations that don't cause harm to a computer system are still the kinds of operations that sovereignty says something about. Okay. Yeah. So that's sort of the the, the core kind of analytical argument or mm-hmm. position you're, you're you're developing here. Uh, just as as fine thing, then because you also touch on this, what does this then mean for Denmark? What what kind of considerations should should Denmark have? And perhaps what would you recommend mm-hmm. um, if you can elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Yeah. So you know, as I said, there are asymmetries. Mm. In terms of state ability, mm. um, it isn't terribly surprising <laughs> that a U.S. or a U.K. would like the sovereignty as principal mm. position because they're incredibly powerful in the cyber domain. Mm. They have the ability technologically to to do these cyber operations, and they have the power to respond to them. Mm. So, kind of regardless of what international law says to them, they can still act. Mm. A lot of states don't have anywhere near the offensive or defensive capability. Mm. Um, and for those states in particular, having international law say something about whether their rights of sovereignty are violated is really important because their only reaction is going to be one that's legally available to them in the non-cyber world. Now, Denmark, I think, kind of falls somewhere in between. Mm. Certainly not a state that has no cyber capability. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem pretty clear that that Denmark has well-developed cyber defenses and has certainly, again, I'm not a technological expert, mm-hmm. but certainly has expressed the desire or intention or plan to develop its offensive capability. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle. From what I can glean from reading about Denmark's you know, kind of unique situation, I think that their interest is more in being able to defend themselves against cyber attack than really using, say, cyber espionage as a really critical tool of statecraft. Again, I could be wrong, but that's my sense. If I'm right, if it is the ability to protect against the future attacks like on a Maersk um, that is really at the core of, of Danish interests, I think they're better off endorsing absolute sovereignty, Mm. a position that any attack without their consent will allow them legally under international law to engage in countermeasures. Mm. Um, I I don't know why they would want to sacrifice the right to respond to damaging or sorry, non-damaging low intensity cyber operations in order to keep alive the possibility of, you know, some kind of offensive low intensity cyber operation. Mm. Um, So, Again, I can't speak to the exact interests or, or desires of Denmark, but if that is the case, for a country in a situation that prioritizes defense over offense, absolute sovereignty would be a better position. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Brilliant. Thank Thanks. you. And that was Professor Kevin John Heller telling us about the international law debates that currently unfold on this moving target, namely low-intensity cyber operations. If you want to dig deeper into Kevin's interesting analysis and arguments, you can read the report Low Intensity Cyber Operations and State Sovereignty in Cyberspace. It can be downloaded at the Center for Military Studies webpage. And you can follow the Center on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. My name is Nils Bjørnsen. Thanks for listening.